Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Well, I think most of you are aware that there's a ball game that's going to take place late this afternoon. They call it the Super Bowl. There's a lot of matters that take place in preparation. You've got interviews with coaches. You've got people on media speaking truth and maybe half-truths about different players or events that are going on. You've got predictions going on. You've got some that have all kind of snacks and food items ready for late this afternoon. That's kind of a part of it. So there's all kind of matters that deal with the Super Bowl, the football game of all football games according to some. And then you've got some that don't care about football, don't give a rip about the Super Bowl. Heard one lady say that she really didn't care, but whoever this Taylor Swift is must be really fast. (laughs) So that just shows, you know, that, that she actually believes there's a running back named that. So there's some that, that, that don't care. And then you've got some football players as well as other athletes that have a platform that use it in a great way to shine Jesus' name. And so often they do it in a very genuine and balanced way. Now, I'm a big fan of Tim Tebow, not just because of Night to Shine that we're partnering with, but I've been here long enough for you to know that I, I quote him quite often. I'm just a fan. He's not perfect, but I tell you what, he uses his platform for the kingdom matters. And so that's really what he understands in our lives it's what matters when it comes to the kingdom because that's why we're here as Christians to shine Jesus every every way we can and so I have done a little research like probably you and so you usually look for um, players that are playing in the Super Bowl and those that are proclaiming the Lord and talking about their faith. And so I did a little research. Now, the Chiefs have, the Kansas City Chiefs has a, have a place kicker named Harrison Butker, B-U-T-K-E-R, that evidently talks a lot about the Lord. And then you've got Mr. Irrelevant, who's the quarterback for the 40, 49ers, uh, Brock Purdy, P-U-R-D-Y, And when he was drafted in the draft several years ago, he was the last draft person that was drafted professionally in the NFL by the 49ers. And so the one every year that's drafted last is always called Mr. Irrelevant. So here this guy is, Mr. Irrelevant, uh, Brock Purdy, who has become the starter for the 49ers, and he's in the Super Bowl. And he is very upfront about his faith. He's a very humble man and comes across that way. And here's what he said when asked about being Mr. Irrelevant and being the Super Bowl quarterback. He said, that's all God, adding that the Lord's plan is bigger and more beautiful than I could ever imagine. He said, I'm just going to show up every day 
work hard and see where God takes me. He said, so I'm very thankful for it, man. But did I ever expect all this kind of stuff, all this attention and going to the Super Bowl and people wanting to interview me and get my jersey? He said, I didn't. He said, I had no idea. So I just try to show up, do my job every day, and it falls in the place it falls into place as it needs to. I know who I am, he said. And God, he said, if you want me to do great with football, great. If not, that's all right. Just go do something else. I'll do it wherever you need me to go. So he understands that football's fine and great, but it's a platform. He knows what matters most is kingdom matters. Now, if you have your Bible and you've not turned to Acts chapter 20 specifically, I want to encourage you to do that because in a minute I'm going to begin reading in verse, 12, verse 7 and go through verse 12. Before I read this passage, because I think what we can glean from the text is how to be a super church. How to make sure that we don't rest in the past. We're thankful for things that happened 15 years ago. We're thankful for things that happened on Friday. But we can't stay there. We continue, as the Apostle Paul said in the Scriptures, to press on toward the mark until Jesus comes back. And so this is God's church, and we want to understand how we can move forward. And better understand it's a new day. And better understand our mission. But before I read the text, I want to remind us that we are a Jesus church. In essence, we're all about Christ. That's what Easter is all about. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We understand that he is the chief cornerstone. And that's very important for us. That's listed all throughout the scriptures. Matthew 21, 42 is is an example. So it describes the fact that he is our foundation. Now, since ancient times, builders have used cornerstones in their construction projects. A cornerstone was the principal stone usually placed at the corner of an edifice to guide the workers in their course. And so as we think about what this is all about, it's a new day. It is about the cornerstone of Jesus. The prophet Isaiah talked about the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, the text that I read. It's other places in the gospel. So we must be reminded, though we're talking about renovations, And we're talking about wonderful structures inside and outside. This is all about Christ. I've been told on the Haven Cross, there'll be a stone. And it'll talk about Jesus is the cornerstone. And so, when we come to worship, when we go to our different areas of ministry, and there's some maybe a a, a new piece of carpet or whatever it might be or a wow factor in the children's area or we see the cross out there, we see the parking lot, we are thankful for that, but we don't worship those things. We worship Christ, 
and we're grateful for the avenues and the opportunities we have to be in this place and be a part of East Haven Baptist Church. I'm thrilled that God is allowing me to be a part of what he's doing, obviously, during this season in the history of our church. And I pray you are, because the things that we're seeing, there is no way, no way that it could be done because of a group of people, a committee, a team, a choir, a person, a staff, a deacon body. It's only because of the grace of God. And he's allowing us to be a part of it. Now, here's a passage that I have always found intriguing. I don't know if you've ever read this passage, but it's, it's very interesting. You've got a guy named the Apostle Paul, who was a preacher, among other things. He started churches. He had a dramatic Damascus Road experience and had a a, a tremendous testimony. And here was this Apostle Paul who was with a group of people at the church in Ephesus, a church that he helped launch. And he was about to leave. Perhaps he would never see them again. So, like some preachers that I've heard before, he got a little long-winded. And you're going to see that in here. And you're going to see in this text that a young fellow fell out of the window while he was preaching. And he went on and on and on. He falls out of the window. And you're going to see people that rushed. And Paul was used, and this is not uncommon, the book of Acts, in a miraculous way to bring him back to life. And they went back up to church, finished church eventually. There was preaching. There was ministry that took place. There was communion, the Lord's Supper. And they left there greatly encouraged. It is right here in the text. I read verse 7, Acts 20. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Now, a lot of scholars and theologians say, see right there, it shows why we worship on Sundays instead of Saturdays, like the Jewish people and others do. This is an example. The first day of the week, Jesus arose, and that's the time frame of changing the worship day, corporate worship, having church on Sunday. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. I'm telling you, the brother had a lot to say, and he just didn't know how to land the plane. I've heard of preachers like that that don't know how to plant the, you know, they'll come in for a land, they'll take off. And I, according to my mother-in-law, do that sometime. So, We can't be too hard on Paul. He had a lot to say. He loved the people, and he didn't know if he'd ever see them again. So he kept talking until midnight. Verse 8, there were many lamps in the upstairs room while we were meeting. Seated in the window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. Can't you just see him? Oh, sometimes I see y'all doing this. (laughs) When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Verse 10, Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. He didn't slow down, did he? He just kept talking. Didn't didn't bother him. Verse 12, the people 
took the young man home alive. And they were greatly comforted. Matters of the super church. If you have your listening sheet, here's number one. Corporate worship matters. Corporate worship matters. It's a matter of worshiping the Lord like we're doing now. Now, there's times that people go out of town for various reasons. We don't beat them up. We all have times that we do that. But we must make it a major priority as a Christian and with our family. We're raising kids. We have grandkids. They need to know that big church, worshiping the Lord, is important as a part of our life. That it is a value. Sure, ball may be a value. Singing may be a value. Work may be a value. Fishing may be a value. Turkey hunting may be a value. Basketball may be a value. Super Bowl eating may be a value. But Jesus needs to be most important when we corporately worship the Lord. And so we see that here. Even though some say that we can't, they cannot believe that he preached so long, so long that a guy fell out the window. It could be that now we realize that biblically it's okay for preachers to preach long over and over and over. I thought I was waiting to see if I got any of this. But if ever your preacher goes over, and I try to, I kind of, I try to watch the clock. I, I try not to go too long. But if I ever do, and we have a guest, they say, "Man, you have a long-winded preacher." Just say, "Well, he's just trying to be biblical." It's in Acts chapter twenty, verse seven. Just, just point him to that. We see that there was preaching and corporate worship. We see, and there were other things that, that are part of corporate worship. We see that there was the Lord's Supper. They called it the agape feast. And it was kind of like a fellowship meal, like a Wednesday night or other time. We have fellowships on Sunday night or other time. Incorporated with communion and the Lord's Supper, the agape feast. There came a time in church history where those were separated most of the time. But that took place, we see. And obviously, we see that there were various age groups because this young man was probably, according to most scholars, between the ages of 8 and 14. And so, they were all there together, gathered to hear the preaching all the different age groups observing the Lord's Supper like we'll do on Palm Sunday morning and we do probably quarterly. And they were all in this worship experience together. Now, I would tell you that even though it was a teenager that fell asleep, it's been my experience over the years as I've watched in different settings people falling asleep that usually it is our seniors, it is our, our older folks that, and I can say that, that, that usually are the ones that kind of doze and fall asleep. So, because my mother-in-law, who is a senior adult, is here, I'm watching her. Because if she falls asleep, I'm waking her up before we turn in these pledge cards. Because <laughs> I've already been talking to her about all that. And she needs to help set an example. So, <clears throat> I'm watching her, and I'm watching you as well. Now... I also want you to hear this. Before we move on to the next point, I want to talk about the facility and the facilitators of worship. The facility. Culturally, where we are. 
We are trying to provide a place of worship that enhances our times together. We want to do so with excellence, not extravagance. There's a difference. And so, as you've seen the handout of what's taken place with our facilities back there, you've seen that by God's grace, there'll be some steps right here. And there'll be a prayer altar on either side that people can use to pray and to worship and come to the altar. Now, there's other things that are going to go on in here, for example, that'll be renovations. But all of that is for what? Is it about a person? Is it about No, it's to enhance our worship for today and for the immediate future and the days ahead. That's critically important that we're reminded that's why we're doing this. We want to enhance our facilities. And then as I think about facilitators, let me add this. Those of us that lead in worship need to abide in Christ. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But without me, you can do nothing. It's very important for me, for Robert, for the instrumentalists, for the choir, and others that are leading in worship. We are not perfect, but we are up here as a part of helping lead in worship. And we need to make sure that we are abiding in Christ. Listen to this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Here's what Paul said, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the passing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. He said in, in verse 10, I want to know Christ. That should be my greatest desire. That should be your greatest desire. That's great that people can play instruments. I'm amazed. I listened to some today, did a great job at people that have those abilities. I think it's amazing how some people can sing like a bird. I cannot imagine that. I think it's amazing other gifts and abilities that people have in a church. But I also know the most important thing for you and me is to know Christ. And over time, people can pick up on it. People can pick up on it. Listen to what Henry Blackaby also said once. He said, when pastors preach sermons... Their people can soon tell whether or not they are speaking out of the overflow of their relationship with God or whether they are merely preaching a sermon. There's a difference. None of us are perfect. But I'm going to tell you what. Over time, people can tell if we're real. If we as facilitators are growing in love with Jesus... And our ministry comes from an overflow, John 15, abiding in Christ. And you as worshipers are abiding and coming to corporate worship to participate and anticipate what God is doing. How many of us thought about what am I expecting God to do? What am I anticipating that might be done here? 
We need to be thinking and praying about that and spending time abiding with Christ every week before we step in here for corporate worship. And when we do that and we're growing in our faith, there's no telling what the future holds. Secondly, I want us to look at this. Young people matter. Matters of a super church, corporate worship, young people matter. Now, let me tell you, Eutychus' name meant fortunate. You may think, man, that's tough. How fortunate was that? He fell out of a window and died. I mean, can you imagine? I'm thinking when I get to heaven, I might look him up and say, bro, how was that? How was the trip down? And then you woke up, man, and everybody was looking at you. And they, did they mess with you afterwards when you went to ball practice? Did they mess with you at work as a young man? Now, I'm going to tell you, I think the name fits. He was fortunate because God brought him back to life and used that young person, which he does today, to bring glory to himself and to be example for everybody else that was in church that day. Bible says they left encouraged and comforted because they had been with God. Some say, well, we can only conjecture while he fell asleep. One reason may be it was stuffy in there. There were lamps. They were crowded. So maybe with the fumes going up, he just kind of drifted off. Some say it was because he was a young man. And back in, back in those days, they, they, they didn't sit around looking at television. They weren't on their phones. They were working. And so, from my understanding, a lot of them work the fields. Anybody ever bailed hay in here? If you've ever done that, you know. And there's other examples of great physical work. There's types of work that go on. But if you talk about physical labor kind of work, just think, if you've bailed hay, bailing hay. This is a guy who was a young man, and he was tired, so we don't need to be too hard on him. That may be a reason he just had a lot of work, a lot of things on his mind. Maybe he didn't sleep real well, and he fell out. And it may be the seat selection. You know, seat selection's important. Where you sit for corporate worship. I mean, it probably may not have been a great idea Idea with him being sleepy, kind of being tired. Maybe he was, he was pressured to sit by the window. That probably wasn't the best idea because he fell out of the window. And this wasn't like one floor. He was up a little bit. That's the way the worship's uh, seating was done and the place of worship was for corporate worship. But I must say, it's not just young people that may fall asleep. It's not just older people that may fall asleep or church members. Do you know that some preachers fall asleep during ministry opportunities? I've, I've thought about going to sleep sometimes during some of my sermons at times. And I want to tell you about a pastor that I worked with when I was a student minister at Morrison Heights in Clinton, Mississippi, many years ago. We'll just call him Ken because that was his name. So Dr. Ken was our pastor, and I was a youth minister, and, and I'll, never, I'll never forget him telling me this. One of our students wanted to go talk to the pastor, so he scheduled his counseling session. So this, this student was sitting across from Dr. Ken, and Dr. Ken was in his office, and it was not a life-or-death situation, okay? But the young man was bearing his soul, and I think Dr. Ken just didn't sleep well the night before, and he'd had a big lunch, and he came to me right after. He said, oh, hey, i got to tell you what I did. He said, man, your teenager came to see me, and I fell asleep right in the middle of his conversation. And, and, if you, and, and, and he said, I woke up. I just woke up. I thought, how long have I been asleep? What did he say? 
what do I say? And he said, I just kind of got re-engaged and tried to stay, you know, focused and survive that experience. But over the years, I'll say, Dr. Ken, you remember that time you fell asleep on that precious teenager I sent to talk to you? And he'll just say, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I want you to know, it's not always young people, not always lay people that fall asleep. Sometimes preachers and ministry fall asleep. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, what about you? Have you fallen asleep during a ministry opportunity? I'm not telling you. I am not going to tell you that right now. Now, I will tell you one experience uh, that happened since I've, since I've been here. And I've only had a few, okay? That means two. But one of them, one of them, uh, and it wasn't while I was preaching, though that, that was a, could, could happen. But this, this was when I was here and I was with, I was with Brother Phil. And he was driving, and I was in the passenger seat. And we went to see somebody in the hospital. We were driving back. And I'm just telling you, Brother Phil was talking on and on and on. And I fell asleep. I fell asleep. And I was still new, and I thought, oh, no. Just like Dr. Kidd, how long have I been asleep? What did he say? Do I say anything? And I think, Phil, I just confessed. And he said, oh, I know you were asleep. <laughs> so that is one time, and I think Phil can Phil can verify that. <clears throat> so sometimes it's not just lay people. I heard about, I heard this, and I wish I'd been the guy to mess with my buddy. In seminary, a lot of times you'll have classrooms, and it could be a big classroom, or you can at least have 25, 30 people. And this is a true story that happened at Southwestern Seminary years ago where I graduated, where Phil graduated. There was a guy in the class, and the professor was, was teaching, and one of the class, one of the uh, seminary students went to sleep. A lot of times in seminary, you have to work late hours, and so this guy evidently had a rough, rough time, and he went to sleep, and so in the middle of the class, his buddy woke him up, said, man, he just called on you to pray. So the guy stood up and prayed this loud prayer in front of everybody, and after, the, after he said amen, you know, he sat down, and the professor just looked at him. He said, that was an extremely eloquent, uncalled-for prayer that you just led. So, and, and he finally realized later after class what his buddy had done to him. I'm telling you, I've, I got, I, I keep, I've got to remember to do that sometime to, when I'm in a conference or something. That would be wonderful. <clears throat> so, when we think... When we think about our renovations, we, we need to think about all age groups and our young people, our children, our teenagers, our college students in particular, our preschoolers, our babies. And I'm so grateful for them. Every time you see them leave and you see people get up like some have gone to, today, I know it's because of our children more than likely. And so when we think about the renovations, you know that some have talked about a wow entrance, and we don't know how wow that would be or what that might look like. But that's a, that's a part of all this. We want them to be set for the future and realize that the setting matters because the younger generation matters. And thirdly and lastly, we want to look at this. Ministry matters. They scurried down the stairs. They were right there by the Apostle Paul. Paul was used by God to bring this man back to life, to reassure everybody he was fine. They took care of the boy after. They continued to worship. 
They made sure he got home, and the Bible says they were greatly comforted and encouraged. The phrase for where Paul put his arms around him in the message, it says, he hugged him hard. Do you know there's a lot of people that need appropriate hugs because they may not feel loved? I'll tell you one of the things I watched on Friday night was there was a lot of appropriate hugs going on from night to shine. My favorite hug came from King George. You see, they were crowned, the crown or tiara. There's a big fella, a little taller than me, big guy, probably maybe a few years younger than me, slick-headed guy. His name was King George after he'd been crowned. And I got to tell you, I just got to tell you, and y'all have had this too. We're all telling stories and testifying. That was one of the most precious hugs. He put his head on my Oh my, I just, oh man. He hugged me hard. I tried to hug him back. So many of you did the same thing. There are a lot of people in this world that need a hug. They need love. They need to be blessed. They need to be encouraged. They need to be seen. Because they have no hope. Or they're really down. When we think about the renovations and the cross, here's what we need to know. So much of it is for our church, but it's also for our community and the ministries that we have in place and that we will in the days ahead by God's grace. It matters. It matters. This matters. So, You know, Valentine's is coming up. It's Wednesday. It's not Friday. It's Wednesday. And I've got a little Valentine's right here. No, not for my mother-in-law. What are y'all thinking? For her daughter. And look at that fancy writing. It says Kelly with a little heart on it. Now... Kelly, I want you to have this, and you can open it up. You don't need to eat it right now because you're going to be talking to people. You don't want all that in your teeth. But just look. Just look right there. It's one of your favorites. Oh, it's the Valentine cake balls from Janie's Pastry. It's one of her favorites. Yes. You're welcome. Now, some of you say, well, look, you've been... Married over 40 years, and Valentine's not yet. I mean, she knows you love her. You know, it's kind of like the guy that said, every once in a while, you ought to tell your wife that you love her. And he said, well, why should I? I did it 40 years ago. We got married. If anything changes, I'll, I'll let her know. <clears throat> no, I, 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 I did that. She already, I didn't have to do it. She knows I love her. But I did that because I do love her, and I want to show her. Okay, now, when it comes to what we're doing, God loves us. And if we have a relationship with him, we love him. And he loves us in spite of ourselves. But we call this or tag this, I love my church Sunday. Because this is a way 
when we give our tithes and offerings. It is a way. We're not buying our way to heaven. It is a way to express our love. Now, here's what I want you to know about these pledge cards. They're turned in because of Jesus, the cornerstone. When the few that see our cards or see my card, for example, as the pastor, that are going to be looking at all this because we've got to keep up with how this is going to play out for three years and how much was raised, how much more we may need, all those kinds of things. When the few that see my card see what I've given, some may think it should be more. They might. Some may think it was good. You know what matters most? What God thinks. We've prayed about it as a family. We've talked about it. God knows our heart, and he knows if it's a sacrifice or not. It's the same thing with you. It's the same thing with you. So let's not be too caught up in, well, what will people? Not? No, this, this is an offering. Now, when I, I want to remind again, this is not our tithe. We've talked about the tithe, bringing the tithe in the storehouse. And as leaders, we have a responsibility. I told you early on, as in the pastor search committee, Kenny Goza was a chairman. He's on executive ministry team. At any point, you want to go to him to check to see if that's happening with me, you have the opportunity to do that. And that goes with others that are leaders in the church, too, that there's ways to check that out, too. It's very, very important. Say that unapologetically and unashamed. We need to have integrity and character. We're talking about an offering here. That's over the tithe. It's between you and God. It's between us and God. And he knows our heart. And I pray that as we enter this time, that we understand why we're doing it and what we're doing it for. There's going to be a team that wins tonight. I don't know who it'll be. It'll be the team that operates as a team. It's not a, it's a team sport. It's not an individual sport. No person on that football team, how good or how bad, won the game. Together, everyone accomplishes more. Just like the Night to Shine team. Just like us as a church. Together, everyone accomplishes more. So, let's be a super church. Let's demonstrate a super sacrifice for our Savior. As dear, we have the invitation. That's your time to come. Kelly and I will go right here at the beginning to put our pledge in the box. You do what God leads you to do, period. We live for the audience of one. Now, I want to say something. Go ahead and stand. I want to say something. Our staff will be here. This is also a time to come to the altar and pray about your family, about our church family, about what may be going on in your own life where you're hurting. It may also be a time that you make some type of decision for Christ, 
You ever heard of the transfer portal? Some of you have. If you keep up with college football, people transfer to different colleges. It's called the transfer portal. Now, here's what I want to tell you. There's some people that need to enter the transfer portal. And it may be they're listed on the radio or they may be in the room. Now, this, again, is between you and God. But some people have been a part of our church and visited in the church. And it may be that today's the day you say, okay, I want to join this fellowship. It's not a perfect fellowship, but I know in my heart that God has been leading me here, and I'm the one that's been resisting. And sure, you have the new member class the first Sunday of March and every month, but this could be the day that you say, I just want to make, I just want to make it known. I need to talk to somebody. I need to, I need to enter the transfer for, 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 for a portal. I can't even say the word. Transfer portal. So this may be for you. This is God's invitation. You see the receptacles. You know why you're here. I know why I'm here. Let's just obey God. Dear God, this is your invitation. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.